Welcome again to Brilliant Podcast. My name is Kim, and today I'll be discussing Series 11, Episode 7 of Doctor Who, entitled Kerblam. This episode is written by Pete McTeague, and it is his first time writing for Doctor Who. I'm just going to take a second to pat myself on the back here because I was behind by two episodes and I'm recording this one now, the day after I recorded, edited, and uploaded the last one. So I'll be all caught up by the time this one gets edited and uploaded, hopefully tomorrow. So in Kerblam, we start with the TARDIS whipping through the time vortex. The Doctor is still trying to get the hang of the new systems, and she's trying to avoid something that's coming after them. It's a teleport pulse. There's a lot of teleporting this season. A robot postman teleports into the TARDIS with a delivery for the doctor. She excitedly says it's the Kerblam Man. She doesn't remember ordering anything, but opens the box, and it's a fez. Long overdue, but she's excited about it and puts it on. Yaz reads the back of the packing slip, however, which says, help me. Ryan thinks maybe it's just a worker messing around, but Yaz wonders if maybe someone really does need help. Graham concurs, saying it doesn't hurt to check. So the doctor decides to venture to Kerblam. Instead of pulling a lever, like on the old TARDIS consoles, she spins an hourglass, which is actually really cool. Also, the Kerblam logo is stylized with an exclamation point where the L is, so it's K-E-R-B exclamation point A-M. They arrive on a moon of the planet Kandoka, which Kerblam uses as its warehouse. It's a whole planet that's a warehouse. Remember the whole planet that was a library? I know Donna Noble doesn't. Oh, sorry guys. Um... Ryan mentions he feels like he's back at work since he worked at a warehouse back home in Sheffield, which gives the doctor the idea that they'll go undercover. The doctor uses a psychic paper and sonic screwdriver to get them in, and a woman named Judy takes them to start their training. There are human workers as well as the same type of robots that delivered the doctor's fez. I kind of got like a bad Cyberman vibe from this whole operation, like maybe the robot workers were humans before, but we shall see. By the way, of all the Doctor Who monsters, I'm the most scared of the Cybermen, than probably the Weeping Angels. Anyway, this company, Kerblam, is 90% automated and 10% people-powered. The power goes down for a few seconds after Team TARDIS gets scanned in order to place them in a work position, but then the systems come back up. Judy implies that this is normal and that it's a privilege to work there. Team TARDIS is given ankle monitors called group loops to track their productivity. Ryan isn't happy to be back working in a warehouse. Judy brings everyone on a tour of the facility, which employs 10,000 workers. Their search for the worker that needs help might take a while. Judy warns them not to climb on the conveyors, or they face immediate termination. Does this mean from the job, or will they be killed? This is Doctor Who, so I had a feeling it's the latter. The doctor uses the Sonic to switch jobs with Graham, which are assigned on their group loops so she can go to the packing stations where the Help Me packing slip came from. 
This leaves Graham with a janitorial job, maintenance. The group is split up, and the doctor and Ryan get to work together with a young woman named Kira. She says they're both doing a great job, and Ryan says this is what he did at his old warehouse job. When he first started, though, he said he struggled because it takes him longer to learn things physically. So, we are still casually referencing his dyspraxia here, which is good, they haven't written it out or anything. Kira says that's the law on Kandoka, that all businesses must be at least 10% people-powered. The doctor asks where the packing slips come from, but Kira doesn't know. She says they're auto-generated, I think. Then the doctor asks if Kira knows anyone that works there that is worried or needs help. She doesn't answer. Over on the warehouse floor, Yaz asks a co-worker, Dan, if he knows anyone that's gotten into trouble or had a hard time. He gives her a word of advice that the robot teammates can hear everything and randomly monitor everything. Yaz and Dan are working as order pickers, and Dan does everything he's supposed to do at work, and because of that, he's on a poster. He has a daughter, back on Kandoka, who he sees twice a year. As they're talking, one of the robots comes up for a second to ask them to get back to work to be more efficient. Yaz gets a sign to go get an order from an aisle that isn't near where they are, and Dan takes it for her, saying the last person that went looking for an order down there got sacked, and he never saw them again. I wonder if we'll see Dan again now. Back over at the packing stations, the power goes down for a second again. A man named Mr. Slade comes in and tells Kara to get back to work, talking down to her. Ryan defends her, but she says it's okay. Mr. Slade is a warehouse executive, and he's their boss. The doctor tries asking him if he knows anybody that needs help, but he hesitates for a second before telling them to get back to work, and he walks away. Kira says to be careful, because a handful of people have been fired recently, and one of those people never arrived home. Dan goes down a dark aisle and meets a robot postman, who shouldn't be there. It doesn't respond, but it grabs him. As Yaz comes looking for him, she hears Dan scream and only finds his scanner and the necklace his daughter gave him on the floor next to his cart. Two robot postmen come up on either side of the aisle to her, and she darts between the shelves to get away as they advance towards her. Elsewhere, Graham is introduced to a young man named Charlie, his maintenance mentor. Another power down happens, and they're instructed to take a break. Yaz explains to the doctor, Ryan, and Graham what happened with Dan. The doctor asks Graham to find plans to the warehouse, and he introduces Team TARDIS to Charlie. Kira drops her tray of food, so Charlie cleans it up, and they're both awkward around each other, and Team TARDIS observes this workplace crush. The doctor, Ryan, and Yaz go to try and file a complaint about Dan disappearing, but Mr. Slade and Judy say they can't really do anything about it. The doctor shows them the help me on the packing slip she got, They say the packing slips are auto-generated, and Judy says they'll look into the disappearances. They leave the office and go hide in an alcove so they can break into the office later, after Mr. Slade leaves. The doctor makes a reference to Agatha Christie because Yaz mentions wasps. Remember that episode? Donna doesn't. Again, sorry. (laughs) In the maintenance room, Graham asks Charlie about his crush on Kira. Graham then says he needs help learning his way around the warehouse and asks for a diagram to help him. 
they take a map that's on display and perhaps they're being watched by a robot. Later, the doctor, Yaz, and Ryan go into Slade's empty office, wondering why he needs a clipboard and a filing cabinet if everything is automated. The doctor sonics the filing cabinet to unlock it and has a look in the paperwork. They start to read some pages, but Judy comes in, having tracked their group loops, which the doctor forgot about. Judy says she knows there weren't actually any shuttles from Kendoka that day and demands to know who they really are. The doctor says they were telling the truth earlier, that they got a note from someone in trouble, and they came to help. She tells Judy the papers in the filing cabinet list out seven people who have gone missing in the past four months. The power dance again, as the doctor accuses Judy of negligence as the head of people. And Judy says this blackout is actually a total system blackout. Graham and Charlie come in with the Kerblam warehouse plans. Despite everything being powered down, a robot comes in and says error reported. Charlie goes over to have a look at it, but it grabs him and hoists him up against a wall by the neck. The robot repeats investigating a few times as the doctor tries to figure out how to disable it. Judy ends up pulling its head off and it falls away from Charlie, who ends up being alright. She says this has never happened before, but Yaz said it did when Dan went missing. The doctor says Judy can't trust their system, which is supposed to tell her if the delivery robots leave the dispatch area. The power comes back on and the doctor examines the robot's head. Again, I can't help but be reminded of the Cybermen here. The doctor wants to hack into the system, which seems to be attacking the people that work there. Judy has never seen the papers in Slade's filing cabinet and says she knew nothing about what's been happening. The gang hacks an old, out-of-date delivery bot that's on display where Charlie and Graham took the Kerblam plants from. In his office, Slade watches them on a monitor from a video feed coming from another delivery bot that's watching them, and he loads a gun. In the packing station, two robots come up to Kira and tell her she's a great worker and has been designated employee of the day. I kind of felt this wasn't going to go well. Yeah. They tell her Kerbalam has a gift for her and to come with them, and she does. The system alerts Judy that Kira has gone missing, like it's deliberately sending them the message since it hasn't done so before when anyone else went missing. It seems like it's giving them bait. Team TARDIS, Judy, and Charlie need to find a way down to dispatch, a fully automated area without a route to get there. Ryan leads Charlie and Yaz to try and find the way since he knows how warehouses work. I like that he's using his skills like this, and I wanted to see Yaz do something with her policing skills, too. We saw Graham use his ability to talk with other bus drivers and Rosa, and of course the doctor is the doctor. Nothing like Team TARDIS working all together to showcase their skills. And save the day. Ryan decides they have to jump down a chute, which can only go poorly. He said he did it once at his last job, and he got a final warning and sprained his ankle. He tells Charlie about his coordination issues before sliding down the chute. Yaz follows, and then Charlie. Back to those two robots. They lead Kira into some sort of a concrete cell with at least a table and a chair. Ryan, Yaz, and Charlie keep sliding down a really steep chute before landing on a conveyor belt. Remember at the beginning when Judy said not to go on the conveyor belts? Like, what's going to happen to them now? Ryan high-fives Charlie, who falls onto a lower conveyor belt, 
what's that movie when they're in the airport and like the baggage conveyor belt is it it's toy story 2 isn't it anyway i think it is anyway brian doesn't think he can jump down there but yes says he can and they jump together the doctor gets the old robot powered up which she calls twirly and judy shows it her credentials asking it to help them the doctor plugs a system into twirly and the power crackles around it then it says help me help me and says it's the system now not twirly the doctor realizes the system sent her the help message it needed help in dispatch down in dispatch the system tries to decontaminate itself from its organic contaminants ryan yaz and charlie it tries to disintegrate them so they have to run along the conveyor belt they end up in the foundation level and hear Kira calling hello out to them. As they walk towards where they hear her, the lights flicker. Upstairs, the doctor calls herself stupid for not realizing what was going on with the system calling her for help. The doctor tries to hack the teleport circuit of a dormant delivery bot as Slade comes up behind them with his gun drawn. They are teleported to the foundation level along with Slade. The doctor disarms him by pressing a nerve in his neck. She did this to someone in a previous episode, but I forget what she said it was called. Slade says he's not targeting people, like the doctor accuses him of making a list for, but he says he's recording who's missing. He knows something is wrong with the system, but doesn't know what. He thought the doctor and the others had something to do with it, so he's been tracking them all since they got there. He and Judy are both trying to help, but they don't really know what's going on. Then Graham finds a vat of goo and group loops, which the doctor scans with the sonic screwdriver, and she says she thinks it's what's left of the missing workers. She says they're under a liquidization tank, like gross. But why? It's gross. The doctor turns around and sees a whole army of robots as Graham calls them, over a balcony in a hangar, ready to go. They all look like they're holding packages, so I'm a bit nervous about what they have. Meanwhile, Kira is still calling out hello in her cell. Why are the robots holding her in a cell instead of just liquidizing her? Ryan and the others run over and can see her through the two-way mirror, which she can't see out of, and turns out she can't hear them either. She's just calling out hello in hopes that someone will come to her. A package appears on the table, so she goes over to it. The tag says for Kira, so this is the gift the robot said they had for her. In front of the army of robots, Slade says they've been getting complaints of deliveries not showing up, so they're all stuck there. The doctor reasons out loud that maybe the frequent power drains are happening because a huge amount of power is being built up for one massive teleport, so all the deliveries will happen at once. The doctor opens the nearest box and just finds a toy inside. She asks, what do all these parcels have in common? She knows, she's just not saying it yet. Kira opens her box as Charlie, Yaz, and Ryan look on and there's just a sheet of bubble wrap at the bottom. Charlie yells for her not to, but she can't hear him on the other side of the glass. She pops a bubble, and she explodes too. We don't fully see it though. Yaz and Ryan asked Charlie if he knew about this since he was trying to warn Kira just then. Charlie says, 
It's done this deliberately. Yaz says they have to find the doctor. The doctor analyzes the bubble wrap in the package she just opened and explains their tiny little bombs. She says the workers aren't the targets, but the customers. It turns out Charlie has been the one making these bombs. He's used the workers that went missing as test subjects to make sure his bubble wrap bombs work. He's upset that only 10% of the workforce is human and wants more jobs for people too. He wanted the machines to be at fault so the people would want less automation at Kerblam, but the system has been fighting back at him. That's why they took Kira. It's trying to fight his plan to have the people of Kandoka see technology differently. The doctor says the system itself isn't the problem. It's him exploiting the system that is the problem. He launches the delivery procedures, and then he smashes the controller. Yaz grabs him from behind, pinning his arm against his back. So there she's using her police training, like I was looking for. The doctor instructs Judy to pull the head off another postman robot, and Charlie breaks free of Yaz's grip. He says the robots can't be stopped now. They're going to be teleported out. He says, I'm sorry, and runs off. The doctor reactivates Twirly, linking it to the new system. She instructs every Kerblam robot man to change their delivery address and deliver right here to themselves in this hangar. Their orders are accepted. She instructs them all to open the boxes themselves and make sure they all pop the bubble wrap. Graham calls out to Charlie, who's in the middle of the army of robots. The doctor has to teleport everyone out before the bubble wrap bombs detonate and Charlie doesn't get out. Outside, Slade says they're suspending operations for a month while they review the company and rebuild the dispatch system. Judy proposes making the company human-led with less automation. She invites Team TARDIS to the management team, but the doctor says they're just freelance. The team departs and heads back to the TARDIS, where Yaz requests going to see Dan's daughter to give her the necklace he had, since Dan saved Yaz's life by switching assignments with her. The doctor obliges saying it's the least they could do. And that's the end. I just noticed at the end of this episode that when the TARDIS is flying, the crystal pillars around the console move up and down at the top, which looks really cool. This was another great episode. It was a little ridiculous, what with the robots themselves being a bit comical, but I like how they reminded me of previous one-off robots that the Doctor had to deal with, like the clockwork robots and those Christmas ones we saw a couple times in the earlier New Who seasons. It was interesting how Charlie ended up being the bad guy. He wanted to kill people to get his point across, how there should be a higher percentage of human workers at Kerblam. And even though they foiled his plan, it still worked. People all over Kandoka didn't have to die, but Judy and Mr. Slade decided to make the company more people-run anyway. Like, Charlie was trying to create more jobs for the people of Kandoka, but he was doing it entirely the wrong way. I liked the comical nature of the robot Postman and Twirly, and it was nice to have a more light-hearted episode, you know, before the ending part, than last week was with Demons of the Punjab, which was a much sadder tone throughout. This episode is going to take second place in my ratings. I liked the story and it was well written without some of those weird plot points and previous episodes that left me with questions. So the woman who fell to earth is still in first, then this one Kerblam, then Arachnids in the UK, Demons of the Punjab, 
Rosa, the Ghost Monument, and the Syringa Conundrum is still in last. You can follow the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Brilliant Podcast. It doesn't look like I'll be able to do any live tweeting soon, but follow me on Twitter at BrilliantPCast, BrilliantPodcast.Tilmer.com, and you can email me at BrilliantPodcast at gmail.com. Please subscribe to the Brilliant Podcast at anchor.fm slash brilliant-podcast or soundcloud.com slash brilliantpodcast. And you can listen to Brilliant Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, CastBox, and Overcast.